Hello, it's Paul Scott here, Small Caps Investor and Blogger and Writer of the Small Cap Value Reports on Stockopedia with Graham Neary and occasional help from Roland Head. So it's Sunday 4th of June 2023, glorious sunny day today. So I've, um, I'm slowly getting going with a, my second coffee and I had to tear myself away from Carry On Doctor on the television. I'm, I'm amazed they're still uh, still showing the Carry On films, but uh, the, the, te te tearing myself away from the from the characters Francis Bigger and Doctor Tinkles. Anyway, enough of that nonsense, and on to shares. Okay, it was another four day week. We seem to have had a huge number of um, bank holidays lately, which is great. Uh, first off, I looked at so this is sorry Tuesday thirtieth of May. I looked at Hollywood Bowl. Interim results. This is the largest uh, tempin bowling operator in the UK, and it's also more recently bought a subsidiary group in Canada. And you know, I really can't find any fault with these numbers. They're fantastic interim results. They talk about continued strong customer demand for bowling, and of course. They've refurbished a lot of the centres. They're opening new centres. I mean, everything's positive. Uh, <coughs> gross margin, 82.8%, because, of course, they're not just selling food and drink. They're actually getting near 100% gross margin um, gaming uh, revenues. So very, very uh, healthy numbers. Balance sheet net cash of $44 million. Um, and of course, you don't have any inventories to speak of and no receivables either. So it's a capital light uh, balance sheet, but very, very healthy. Uh, I mean, everything's positive. Um, the only thing I would really question is how much further this can go, because they've had two or three very, very, maybe two years, very, very buoyant years as people wanted to go to their bowling centres to, uh, as, as a, oh, there's a pigeon there. <laughs> Um, sorry, um, they, um, oh, hang on, let me pause this, sorry about that, yes, they're getting a bit too cocky, the pigeons and the seagulls, so I have to chase them away, anyway, um, yeah, the outlook statement was fine, it says in line with expectations for the current year, um, although they seem to be coy about mentioning what the like-for-like -like sales are, so I suspect that might have, um, I suspect, suspect there's probably not going to be any more growth for a little while, which then brings us on to valuation. Hollywood Bowl's on a P of about 14. Uh, that's an earnings yield of 7.1%, which I feel is probably about right for where we are now. So I'm, I'm struggling to see what immediate upside there's likely to be on the uh, share price of Hollywood Bowl. Uh, I haven't looked at it recently, but one of the readers flagged up that 10 Entertainment Group, uh, ticket is TEG, I think, that's actually on a significant lower rating than PE rating than Hollywood Bowl. So maybe if you're looking for a bargain, um, 10 Entertainment Group might be quite good to look at. But anyway, the bottom line is with Hollywood Bowl, there's so many positive things about it. I haven't got any choice other than to give it a green um view in our in our traffic lights lights color code system so yeah i'm positive about hollywood bowl struggling possibly to see any short time short term upside on the shares but who knows it's it's guesswork isn't it when we look at where share prices might go anything can happen but bottom line is a lovely business so with very strong interim figures so i like hollywood bowl Next was a trading update from Likewise, ticker L-I-K-E. This is the Challenger 
uh, floor coverings distribution business set up and run by the former CEO of Headlam, which of course is the market leader, H-E-A-D. And likewise, as the company name implies, um, is, is basically he's trying to recreate Headlam <coughs> through this this competitor and it's it's been going a few years now and it listed in the Channel Islands and then moved to AIM shortly afterwards. Um, <clears throat> I had a chat with the CEO um, Tony Brewer uh, last year I think it was in a get to know you phone call and I think it's 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 sensible the strategy that he's got for the business and it's quite a significant size already it's about a quarter of the size of Headlam. Um, medium term target is to reach 200 million revenues uh, there's not really much profit at the moment. This is the only thing with likewise. And I personally don't like having to pay up front for future growth, not in a bear market. So for that reason, I'll keep an eye on likewise, but um, I'm not I'm not negative on it. I'm neutral on it. I'll just I'll just monitor it and see what happens. The danger, of course, is that it it just chips away at the margins for Headlam and doesn't make much money itself. Um, you know, so it could be a bit of a race to the bottom on, on pricing, I think. But certainly in terms of current trading, the update from Likewise seemed better than the recent update from Headlam. Oh, I should add, I, I've picked up a very small position in Headlam myself personally, but tiny amounts of money. But I, I always disclose if I own a share I'm commenting on. Graham looked at DWF, uh, a professional services company. I don't know anything about that one. So, so some of these professional services companies are looking really cheap at the moment, but it's a sector generally Graham and I don't like. But, you know, a forward PE of 4.8 on D DWF, and I think there's an even cheaper one called Knights, as in K-N-I-G-H-T-S, which is on a PE, I think, of about 4.1. So there's, other, I, there's either something going wrong with these um, companies, which is not coming through in trading updates. The trading updates are quite good. Um, but I don't really understand why the market is so bearish on these professional services companies. Um, and there might be some opportunities there, although I, uh, both Graham and I, I think are not keen on the sector because you've got this conflict of interest, haven't you, between the, the big fee earners and the outside shareholders that isn't going away. Uh, now, hunting, HTG. This is an interesting one. Graham looked at this. This really shot up on the day. It went up 15%. And I think... It held or even slightly increased on that increase. It's a quite a big um, it's an engineering group. Yeah, it covering the oil sector, hunting. Um, and uh, yeah, this update looks good. Um, they've increased EBITDA guidance, previously 85 to $90 million. And they've increased that to 92 to $94 million. And a big order book as well. So, I mean, I don't really know anything about hunting. I've never really understood it, but um, it does look it does look quite interesting. And it's obviously trading well. And the broker forecasts have been steadily increasing on that one. So, oil services sector might might be worth a look if you understand the sector. One of the things I didn't get to look at because it's it's quite small and speculative, really, is Oxford Biodyn Oxford Biodynamics OBD. Uh, I did buy a few of those uh, last year when they did a, a premium priced fundraise, but it's running out of money again. So I decided to ditch them a, a few months ago. Um, it wasn't; it was only a tiny speculative holding. I just don't think this is the right time to be in uh, tiny speculative companies that are running out of money. Now I should thank one of our readers, Boone B O O N. 
who kindly wrote a very balanced um, synopsis of the results from Oxford Biodynamics in the reader comments. So thanks for that, Boone. That was really, really helpful. I should say also on Tuesday's report, 30th of May, um, this issue of net debt figures, um, which have been horribly distorted by IFRS 16, that raised its ugly head again. And um, a lot of us, and including me, are really unhappy about net debt figures, including lease debt, because it isn't debt, it's um, future operating costs, which shouldn't be on the balance sheet. But the trouble is the data providers are obviously including it now because that's what the accounting standards say. There are several quite vocal uh, subscribers here saying they're not happy with that. And I, nor am I really. I think you've got just got to, at the moment, as a, as, a, as a quick fix, we've just got to bear in mind that any company that operates from a large number of sites, which are retail leisure type businesses, the net debt figure is probably going to include the lease debt, which it shouldn't do, but it does, because those are accounting standards. Uh, I think Robbie Burns made a, a good comment here in the reader comments saying, couldn't Stockopedia show both? Show us the net debt, um, you know, before and after the, the leases, uh, which I think is a good suggestion. So, um, yeah, I think it would be, be good if that could be changed. And contact Stocko HQ if you agree, which I think quite a few of you are already doing doing so let's hope that's in the in the pipeline for a fix right moving on to wednesday 31st of may 2023 i first looked at carclo at car now you might say what on earth are you wasting your time on that it's only 10 million market cap paul but it was up 17 percent on an update regarding a major cancelled contract where it seems to have um negotiated a satisfactory solution with the customer now i think it's just it's just a fascinating special situation carclo is that's why i like covering it because i'm 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 dying to see how this one works out it could go could very easily go bust or have serious dilution so this is a very very high risk share but equally it could be a multi-lagger we just don't know so i love looking at situations like that and trying to unpick all the detail now, um, it's swamped with, with bank debt and also a huge pension deficit. So I've run through all the figures on that. So really, my main point of covering it is to flag up the, the very high risk. But if people are buying or holding car close shares fully cognizant of those risks, then you're going into it with your eyes open. And sometimes uh, to get a, a big multi-bagger, you have to risk losing 100% of your money. I personally wouldn't invest in Carclo. I think the only saving grace really for this company is it's got quite significant freehold property assets on its balance sheet. Now, I reckon that's probably why HSBC is remaining supportive, because they've probably got support, um, uh, you know, they've probably got... Um, a fixed charge over the freehold property, I would imagine. But um, it's difficult to see where this goes without a dilutive equity raise at some point. Could be a seriously badly dilutive equity raise. So, um, but yeah, I'm keeping an eye on Carclo. Um, <clears throat> and it's good news, obviously, that it's it's negotiated this deal with the customer uh, that cancelled a, a big contract. Next, I looked at Tremor International, T-R-M-R, now, this was up 8% to £2.80 at 400 million market cap, put out Q1 results. I've just given, I'm, I just really dislike this sector with these um, online advertising companies 
that seem to um, exploit some lucrative way of making money for a little while before the uh, the mega cap companies like Google and, and Facebook and so on ch change the algorithms that uh, crush their profits. That's the big risk in this sector generally, isn't it? And I don't know how the the the, the cookies the they're abolishing cookies, I believe. I don't know how that's going to pan out. So, um, but I do comment that Tremor has got a reasonably good balance sheet. It's done strikingly large share buybacks recently as well, which I looked at, and it's on a low PE. So the big question, the PE of 7.4 times, so are the profits at Tremor International sustainable? That is the only real question that investors need to find out the answer to. I've commented here that normally shares in this sector are cheap for good reasons. So for me personally, I'm going to steer clear of Tremor and the same with Central Nick and the same with XL Media. Uh, I just don't trust the sector and the longevity of earnings. But you may have a different view, which is fine. That's what we like. Now, Graham looked at Premier Mighton, PMI, the fund management group, who had a good um, reader comments about this as well. Dropped 8% to 82p. Uh, Graham's called the profit figures in H1 very poor, which I think was a bit harsh. I mean, it it's still profitable. And obviously in the current uh, uh, tough macro position, you wouldn't really expect fund managers to be making that much profit. And they're seeing outflows of money, uh, although it's partly mitigated, I believe, by funds being moved into fixed interest and US equities by UK investors. Um, but Graham's not convinced that Premier Mighton has got enough product differentiation, but he gives it a thumbs up because it's so cheap. And of course, you can just play the cycle with these things, can't you? Graham's um, <clears throat> covered this before and he got Numis right and a couple of others about strongly that Graham thought were very good. Obviously, he's got experience in the sector, having worked in fund management, which I haven't. So I very much defer to Graham on the fund management and the financial sector generally. Now, here's an interesting one. I looked at a trading update from U, the, the letter Y and the letter U. That's the company name. And then the ticket is YU with a, with a full stop after it. Now, very, very impressive trading update. It rose 22% to £5.60. It's an alternative. Well, I don't know if you call them alternative. It's a, an energy provider to um, corporates. Now, um, a lot of people on ADVFN were slagging me off over my article on this. I don't know if they'd actually read the article because... Uh, uh, I wrote quite a balanced piece where I describe its trading update as sparkling, which it was, substantially ahead of market expectations for you. And that, I've said here, that comes on top of a big increase in 2022 profits. Um, but I then went through the, the 2022 accounts and came up with some things that I wasn't happy with. But for some reason, I don't know why, they wanted to start slagging me off on ADVFN. Uh, I don't get into all that, into you know that uh, ad hominem stuff. It's just it's just pathetic, and um, you know you just think what's wrong with these people? They wouldn't say that to my face, so why do they uh, write it online? But that's something I moaned about last week. But look, I've been trolled for about twenty five years online, so I I just I just accept that people are uh, are particularly unpleasant sometimes when they write things on the internet. And I've been guilty of it myself. I'm not, you know, usually uh, when I got back from the pub, I've sometimes spewed out some rather uh, intemperate words. So, you know, look, 
glass houses and stones and all that, I suppose. You just take it on the chin, it doesn't, none of it matters. Anyway, but, but it seems very obvious to me that the reason you is making substantial profits and it's had a very big broker upgrade as well for the current year is due to the energy crisis. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not rocket science, is it? They're not operating in a vacuum. Um, it's, uh, you know, they've managed to position themselves clearly very, very well and got their hedging right, which is an absolute key issue. So well done to them. All I'm saying is once energy, the energy markets eventually turn, get back to normal, which they will at some point, then um, I doubt whether you is going to be making anything like these levels of profit or revenue. Also, there's a big issue with credit control there. They've got a massive bad debt charge, uh, increasing the bad debt provision. Uh, basically about, I mean, off the top of my head, it was something like three quarters of all the profits are dissipating with bad debts. So they're supplying uh, energy to customers who can't afford to pay for it. Well, that says to me they're lacking basic internal controls in the finance department. So if they haven't got the proper controls over the, their receivables book, which they clearly haven't, um, then how do you know they're going to have proper controls over the hedging? You know, they say, uh, management say that they're very experienced and all the rest of it. But um, I, I think the numbers just don't really stand up to scrutiny there. So I think the most likely outcome is you probably continues to make hay while the sunshine. The shares could well go up. They've got strong momentum behind them. People are on, on certainly on a, the ADVFN bulletin board are completely ignoring the bear points and just talking it up and hyping it up because they want to ramp their own shares before they sell them, of course, without telling anybody. That's the way uh, bulletin boards work, isn't it? Anyway, I think I'm perfectly happy with my article. I think I covered the bull and the bear points, and that's what we like to do. Graham looked at another fund management group called Impacts Asset Management, IPX. Uh, now that's 941 million market cap. As I say, we're now covering 40% of the mid-caps market in the small cap value reports on top of the small caps as well. So we're covering over 550 companies now, Graham and I, which I think is pretty good for two people. But anyway, as I say, they're only, you know, fairly, well, not superficial, but they're reviews rather than in-depth articles because we're having to cover, we try to cover four or five or more sometimes companies each day that put out trading updates. And we, you know, we have a dig through the numbers and I think we give more detail than you can get in, um, certainly in any of the, that the journalists produce. Um, uh, which is which a lot of them are just rehashing PR releases <clears throat> so I think our stuff is is apart from people like say for example um, oh god I've forgotten his uh, Simon Thompson at Investors Chronicle who does very good stuff and that's why he's got a big big following of course uh, anyway impacts asset management Graham likes uh, on a value but he's he does point out that the valuation is much much higher than premier might on because it's focused on this ESG area, which I know that's starting to be questioned now, but, but it still seems a big draw for investors who want to, uh, you know, have the feeling that their money's being invested with um, good ESG credentials. Uh, did I mention Tremor International? I think I did, TRMR. Yeah, I've, I flagged up here what a strange market reaction it was to the results, the Q1 results the day before, because it opened down 9%, but then re re fully recovered that and ended up 8% at the end of um, Tuesday's trading, which is very, very unusual for the initial market reaction to be 
the opposite to how it ends up afterwards. Um, oh, just one other thing I flag about Tremor. It reports a, a cash pile of $191 million, whilst also having $100 million of long-term debt. Very similar situation to Central NIC. And I, I flag this because it, it just seems weird to me. Why on earth would you be paying all the interest on $100 million debt and then letting it just sit in a cash account? Uh, one of the readers came up with a theory that the company wants to have the firepower ready to make acquisitions. I suppose that's possible, but um, it's it's clearly going to be very uh, inefficient when it comes to finance charges. So I'm not 100% convinced by this. Um, and Tremor guides 140 to 145 million US dollars EBITDA for um, calendar 2023 uh, high stock based compensation which you often get in this sector so I don't know with Tremor it, I've said here the numbers remind me a lot of Central NIC S uh, both strikingly cheap if you accept the, uh, their adjusted numbers uh, but big question are the profits sustainable and the answer on that is I don't know Tremel's also got quite a concentrated shareholder register with four shareholders, including two very large ones, owning over half the company. So you might see it delist. I know that it's got News Corporation as a 6% shareholder, um, who presumably know what they're doing, and Tosca Fund have got 15%. So some big-name um, uh, investors on the shareholder register, although, as I discovered to my cost earlier this year, that doesn't mean a thing. Um, Big investors get things wrong just as much as small investors do, in my experience, as we saw with Wandisco. Uh, right, well, Carclo, we've covered. Yeah, I think we've covered all of those. OK, let's move on. Right, on to Thursday, the 1st of June. Fairly quiet day. Um, Graham had a look at Duke, Ro Duke Royalty, D-U-K-E, which rose 8% on a trading update. So Graham likes that one. He's green on that one. Now, I had a look at Bakavor. This is an interesting one. B-A-K-K. -K. Uh, it issued Q1 results the day before. Uh, no, sorry, it was a Q1 trading update. Now, I've marked this as my opinion being red, negative, um, and it's all down to the balance sheet. Basically, uh, it's, a, it's a, a chilled food, freshly prepared chilled food company. So I probably eat a lot of their products because I often buy ready meals. Uh, because it's just cheaper than buying all the ingredients. You don't have to faff about cooking. And some of them are quite good and they're quite cheap. Uh, so I imagine I'm eating their products. Now, it's it's over $2 billion annualised revenue. So it's quite a big company, back of all. Uh, what's the market cap? Uh, $520 million. Obviously very low margin because it's supplying supermarkets. And it does say here that it's been able to largely mitigate higher inflation costs through price rises and other measures like, um, what do they call it, shrinkflation. Oh, so frustrating. Do they think the customers don't notice, that we don't notice that they're putting in less meat, more gravy, and just a massive pile of mashed potato? <laughs> you know, or, uh, you know, that the box has got slightly smaller, or that it's wider but more shallow. You know, of course we notice. People are not fools. So, uh, but anyway, there we are. Oh, God, I'm disgusted with Chilango, my favourite uh, Mexican food supplier owned by Tortilla. The hot boxes used to be lovely and um, generous portions. They've shrunk the box by about 20%. So, yeah, I might have to move back to a burrito instead of a hot box. But anyway, what's Bacavore saying? Oh, the outlook was quite encouraging. Um, 
adjusted operating profit consensus of 82.9 million. Now, companies with net debt, with large amount of debt, are quoting operating profit for a reason. It's because the, it excludes the finance costs, so it makes the number look bigger, looks the profit look bigger. But I want to see adjusted profit before tax, because that includes the finance costs. Sure enough, when I dug into the numbers, I found that back of all uh, is, has got really substantial finance costs, which of course are going to go up because higher interest rates. And it's one of many quite sort of substantial medium-sized companies that I think have relied too much on cheap debt. And now they're getting a bit of a, <clears throat> a rude awakening. Uh, so um, it has slightly negative net tangible asset value of minus 46 million. Well, considering it's got 548 million fixed assets, that means the whole of the business, all the fixed assets are really being funded by debt and by working capital, not by equity. Net bank debt, net bank debt, which back of all calls operational debt, is substantial at two hundred and eighty-five million. So I think that's too high. So I would rule out back of all personally. And also, I think if you come across a company like this that's relying on a large amount of bank debt, it shouldn't be paying out big divvies now. Uh, it's got a seven point six percent dividend yield at back of all, which I think is is reckless. They shouldn't be. Um, paying out big divvies when they've got a, a, an enormous amount of bank debt. I think I read in the narrative as well that management um, think that they've got a strong balance sheet, which they don't. They're delusional. If they don't understand the basics of balance sheets, then, you know, which they clearly don't, it's a highly indebted company that they think they've got a strong balance sheet when it's got negative net tangible assets, then that really worries me. That says to me they're... Um, you know that they're that they're taking risks that they're not even aware of, or that they're just pretending that they've got a strong balance sheet, trying to convince us. We can see the numbers; it's not a strong balance sheet. So uh, no, that's gone in the avoid box for me, I'm afraid. Next, I looked at Bloomsbury Publishing, BMY. Lots of the readers of the Small Cap Value Reports like this one, as do I. We've been reporting positively on it for a long time now. Uh, now it's four pound ten a share. 335 million um, market cap and I've uh, it was an absolute delight reading these audited preliminary results for the year ending February 2023 so I've marked it with my opinion which is green which is positive same thing as saying thumbs up I just use them interchange interchangeably now Harry Potter is obviously the big title at uh, Bloomsbury but the other divisions are also making good profits it's got an academic division it's got a digital division and this is interesting. It's made 19 acquisitions. Um, I think that's the right figure. Where is it? Since um, 2008. So this is actually one of those lovely companies that generates lots of cash and then uses that cash to make acquisitions. Yes, 19 acquisitions since 2018. Oh, no, that's a typo. I think it was meant to be 2008. Oh, I'll have to correct that. Anyway, um, the, the valuation I think the stock market's giving it is very modest. Forward PE of 13.4. Sorry, that's not forward PE. That's for the year that's, year that's just finished. 30 pence um, adjusted EPS. There's a lot of adjustments in that, but it's nearly all related to acquisition rate related goodwill, so amortisation. So it's fine to exclude that. So I'm happy with the adjustments. I just think it's a lovely business. One of the readers, I think it was Planet X, who posts um, terrific comments usually, he, uh, I assume it's a he, said that um, it's a, a real sleep at night share. It's the one share he said in his portfolio 
that doesn't give him any worries or any sleepless nights. And I, I, I support that view. I think Bloomsbury Publishing's an excellent business. And, um, you know, the shares uh, have reflected that. They're doing pretty well in a, in a horrible bear market. So, yeah, thumbs up um, from me for Bloomsbury Publishing. I like it a lot. Right, on to Friday's I'll report, 2nd of June. I'll have to be really quick on this because the file size is getting too large. Decra Pharmaceuticals, um, a bid came, the bid finally came through, recommended cash take of a bid. Quite substantial, this. It's about $4.5 billion. Uh, I only covered it because I think it's interesting to look at um, Scandinavian Private Equity Group, EQT, has bid for it. Uh, it was expected, a bid was expected on this. It was announced previously in April, I think it was. Uh, but it's good to see that deal going ahead. So maybe um, mergers and acquisitions could uh, resume again and could start um, stimulating the market generally. I looked at Paypoint. I've marked that green. It's very, very cheap. It came up at Mellow in the Bash session where um, I think it was Mark Simpson who had talked about this one. Up 6% to 401p, 290 million market cap. Oh, no, I've seen another typo. Oh. Never mind. Um, anyway, it's a positive trading update. I think Paypoint looks very good, although obviously the longevity of its main product, which is these utility key card processing machines, that has been, you know, uh, under question for a long time. But um, they've got some other interesting acquisitions as well. So I think it's so cheap, it's worth a look, I think. And then finally, I looked at Gately, legal services business, uh, and... It's in line with market expectations. It's got net cash. Uh, valuation's reasonable and a 5% yield. I think Gately looks quite good. It's actually got a very good track record, these legal services businesses. Lots of them uh, seem to go badly wrong, but in that case, it hasn't done. Anyway, I've got to wrap this up now. Thanks very much for engaging. It's been It's a real struggle at the moment for all of us. I'm finding it very, very difficult to motivate myself in, in the small caps world. But we'll just keep buggering on to Channel Churchill. And, uh, you know, the happier times will come. It's just a question of when. So, OK, I'll wrap it up there. Thanks again. Bye.